Welcome to Brighter Stories, the podcast about eliminating poverty and empowering people by giving them the tools they need to build independent lives that they love. I'm your host, Jason Henson. In this series, we'll tackle a variety of topics such as trauma-informed care, outreach, paternalism, and more. We'll also hear testimonies from graduates of the Restoration Program, Victory Mission's long-term discipleship program that transforms lives through a holistic approach. I hope this podcast will challenge and encourage you and will start your own discussions about how you can help your neighbors write a brighter story for their lives. Haven't you noticed the man or woman standing at a busy intersection with a cardboard sign? We all have. Or perhaps that friend or neighbor or family member who gets stuck in a grip of poverty and you don't understand what they're thinking? Have you ever found yourself challenged with the big questions that you can't be really helpful or you don't know what the next step would be? That's why I'm excited about this podcast. I got to sit down with James Whitford He's the executive director of Water Gardens Rescue Mission in Joplin, Missouri, and also the founder of the True Charity Initiative. During our conversation, we tackled all these great kind of conversations, challenging topics like helplessness and the five steps we find ourselves in sometimes when we become too much like a parent to these people we want to help, and just creating dependency on charity that hurts people and does not actually move them from poverty. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation James and I had. I hope it will impact you as much as it did me. We're excited to have James Whitford, co-founder. You and your wife started a rescue mission like 20 years ago now? Yeah, 22. Oh my goodness. So here we are in our third decade, yeah. 22 years ago, you guys saw a need in your community. You You are not a social service person. You, you didn't go to school for this. You're actually a physical therapist, Yeah, right? Yeah, I was working at a hospital and doing physical therapy and wound care. Uh, that was my specialty in the world of physical therapy, wound care, and, uh, you know, fell in love with Jesus, went mm-hmm. on a mission trip and an inner city down in Texas and came back ignited, right? Just feeling like I wanted to do something in my own city more to help people struggling in poverty and um, and then my wife and I launched a very small little outreach center uh, that was just open 20 hours a week um, 22 years ago, yeah, called Watered Gardens. Yeah, and now you have initiated a True Charity Summit, among other things. You're doing True Charity Workshops. You guys have your truecharity.us. Yeah. People could check out your website. TrueCharity.us. And, and yeah. yeah, so Watered Gardens uh, Ministries, uh, you know, a few ministries in the city of Joplin and doing, you know, a lot of things that rescue missions do. And as we uh, wanted to engage people in the right way to really help them, to help empower people, yeah. help them out of the traps that they've been in with poverty and addiction, we found that bad charity can, in the community, can really get in the way of good charity. You know, bad charity can like crowd it out. And so we uh, we felt like, gosh, we've got to do more to educate our whole community mm-hmm. on better charity, which we ended up calling true charity. Right. And then that grew into its own initiative that's now a national initiative, um, helping leaders across the nation rethink 
how do we really help the poor? How do we make sure that what we're doing is, is having the impact that we want it to? Yeah, so there's, I think we could go, we could have you on multiple times. <laughs> because honestly, this is the things that you guys are doing. And we've, you know, the ministry I'm a part of at Victory Mission, we've been into the workshop training. We've been to the True Charity Summit as a team and different individuals. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for your leadership and even just helping a young guy like myself, younger than you, um, just you know, be like, I don't even know what we're doing. Like, what's the right way to do any of this stuff? And because we want to help. And I think the majority of people probably listening to this are going to say, man, I want to do something. You know, I see, you see a guy holding a sign. You see a girl pushing a shopping cart. Um, you see somebody in your corner or know a neighbor that's struggling with food insecurity. And you, and we think, we hear all these things from government side. We hear all this stuff. Then you you might see a book at your local Christian bookstore when helping hurts or toxic charity. And then, you, then you're thinking, well, what does that even mean? You don't have time to read another book. So maybe they grab this podcast and thinking, how do we help people in my community? So one of the things we're going to talk about is something you've kind of taken from Robert Lupton's kind of, he talks about the struggle with, um, you know, when you start giving people uh, things, you create dependency on their side, and then you've kind of taken that with paternalism on the side of the caregiver, you know. And then we could talk about wherever other things go, because I'm sure we'll rabbit trail all through that. But, yeah, yeah. you know, as we help people in the right way, there's some key factors that, that we could be aware of and, and some of the training aspects you guys do. But just talk about that dependency that, sure. that you've yeah. seen from your own experiences, right. you know, 22 yeah. years ago starting this, and yeah. then how you guys have shifted and grown. And then these books started coming with these new theories, and you went, oh, yeah, we already knew that because we mm. lived it. You know, just talk yes. through those. Yeah, Maybe yeah. some something Well, like I that. think, I mean, you know, the story is not too abnormal, really. You, uh, people, um, they, they see brokenness and, and, you know, within humanity and their community or maybe when they're traveling and it's like gosh I want to do something I'm not exactly sure what to do and so yeah. we were uh, plagued with the same question the same problem and decided to do something well it stems out of compassion which is sure. incredibly important right without compassion oh my gosh we're just not going to get anywhere uh, but compassion that's not coupled with wisdom can also be very problematic and so we were a part of the problem. I mean, in the early years, a lot of raging compassion, you know. Sure. And, uh, but it, we basically ended up being kind of a redistribution center where yeah. people would donate stuff because they loved our compassion for people. And then we would hand it out to people who said they needed it. And over time, we realized, gosh, we've got thousands of people coming through our doors for stuff. And we're meeting you know, a whole lot of needs, but we weren't seeing the outcomes that we had hoped to see in people's lives. They were really becoming dependent on us. Mm. It was go back down to you know, Water Gardens Mission, get what you need day after day after day. And, and you, know, you see the same people over and over and over again. And so that was happening in the first you know, handful of years of our ministry and uh, really started to wrestle with that. Read the book, Toxic Charity, mm -hmm. by Robert Lupton. And you know, in it, he does outline these five steps to dependency, which I think your listeners would 
really resonate with. I, I did. When I heard him, I was like, oh, gosh, it makes total sense. And I've been guilty of it. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, if you give something to somebody once, they'll appreciate you for it. If you give it to them again, they'll anticipate that you'll do it a third time. If you give the same thing to the same person a third time, they'll have an expectation that you'll do it a fourth. A fourth time, they'll be entitled or feel entitled to it. And a fifth time, they'll be dependent on you for it. So the five steps are appreciation, anticipation, expectation, entitlement, and dependency. So I thought, oh gosh, we've been seeing that. And that really was... One of a few things that happened that began to help us rethink our model. Um, and, uh, and so that's just, yeah, some of our experience. I mean, we could talk a lot on, on that. But. Yeah, yeah, we can. And I think this is, these are really key things that even I, I, I keep saying that to people we've been interviewing. You know, I, I was unaware, you know, coming in, uh, I, you know, been nonprofit my whole career. And here I come to a, you know, local rescue mission, you know, we're doing food, clothing, and shelter, we're helping people, we're going to, but we, but what you were saying and seeing is you weren't seeing the outcome. You weren't seeing people get better. They were almost just coming, and we saw that at Victory Mission when I got here, I, we had a larger, much larger food pantry than we do now. Now it's, it's just emergency. It's it's a tool to build a relationship to have a deeper conversation. But even in that, we were giving out a lot of food, and the person running that at the time said, "Man, we've had people coming for two and three years." And I thought, "What are we doing?" You know, and I, mm-hmm. you know, we somebody said, "Hey, we've read Toxic Charity when I got here, but we weren't implementing these things. We weren't." So we started to just kind of have deeper conversation. We still have room to grow. I think everybody could still find a way oh, yeah, to where we too. could be more intentional with how we're giving these things out. What are we doing as we have these exchanges? You know, hey, I need something. Hey, we have something. How do we go about that? And, and, that, and I th- I'm sure I'd love to hear that you could summarize that whole 22 years and it would be, we'd sit here for probably 22 <laughs> hours or more <laughs> of, of all the things and conversations and back offices where you're like, man, we're not doing anything to help mm-hmm. these people. Right. Right. So what really drove that need to figure that out? Was it, is it the kingdom principles, uh, the faith principles that you well, have? I, I really think that uh, it's, it's not being satisfied with feeling good about what you're doing. Uh, and I think that uh, Jesus came to make a difference yeah. in people's lives, a real difference. And... That's something that we ought to be able to see and I believe measure in some way, right? And so um, we can't, we could hand out things all day long and, and feel good about it, but that, that can't be the thing that satisfies us in the long run. We really have got to see a change in life, transformation of life. And so um, what does that look like and how can we, how can we measure that in the way of outcomes? And, and so once we, once we latched on to that, really is kingdom-minded problem solvers. Like, like we've that. got to solve some problems. Then we began to look at how do we measure that. And that's heavy lift. That's hard work. Listen, it's so much easier to just hand, hand stuff out and count the number of food baskets and the number of meals and the number of shelter nights and the number of stuff. But it's really tough when you start developing 
key performance indicator spreadsheets that are looking at some you know things that are more difficult along the lines of social capital. We know that's important. We know we want people to build healthy relationships that are going to be the right kind of safety net mm -hmm. around them. But how do you measure that? You know, so we worked hard to develop a social capital measurement tool because we couldn't really find one that was mm. out there. And, and then you're developing sheets to track that. And now you've got a team of people that are going back periodically and having folks go through and fill it out again to see if their social capital is improving. Right. All of that's tough. I mean, and there's so much of that kind of stuff that we were interested in measuring to see, are we really making an impact? Are our efforts actually changing the lives of people in the way of employment and social capital and that type of thing? So, um, yeah, it's 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 tough work, but it, we were driven. I mean, that's yeah. the answer to your that's the answer to your question, Jason. I mean, we were just driven to make sure that our energies were actually making a difference in people's lives and not being satisfied with um, an ever increasing number of people who need your services. Yeah, I, I like how you said that, people that need you, and that would kind of match what you talk about with paternalism. So talk, right. us, talk us through that. Yeah. So if, as you shared the Robert Luptons, you know, they're, they get to where now, the fifth time you give them, they, ne they need you. Yeah, Man, right. if, you, if you don't show up, I don't know how to do my food. That's right. I don't know how to get, I don't know how to get clothes. I'm going to need, you know, where's my... Yeah. My cleaning supplies coming from because, like you're saying, you're just redistributing these yeah. things that you got given. So, what does that create on the parental yeah. side? Sure. Well, and as we get into that, as you were saying that, and just you know, uh, describing this dependency that can happen, I was reminded of uh, a line in Marvin Olasky's *Tragedy of American Compassion*, and in that book, great read. Right. Um, he says. Uh, Dependency is merely slavery with a smiling mask. Yeah. So it's such an interesting, it's like, whew, mm. that's strong. Yeah. Uh, but in some ways, it really is a type of bondage. Like you said, I, I can't, I, now I can't do anything for myself. I've, that's right. I've learned helplessness. I've like learned helplessness. So now I don't know what to do. And uh, that is a type of bondage that's certainly antithetical to the flourishing life that God intends for every person. But yeah, so I noticed as I was going learning these five steps to dependency and seeing our problems, and I thought, gosh, it's it's not just well, well we all live in community, and to think that uh, you know only the poor are affected ad adversely and not the rest of the community is just not true. That's okay. just not true. When the poor are not being helped in the right way, the whole community is suffering. And so it was, I realized it's not just the, the recipients who are, are, are struggling with a particular problem here, the giver is too. And so I just kind of developed five steps to paternalism. And the idea is that, yeah, when I, when I give something to somebody once and there's an, an appreciation for it, I might sense an exhilaration Sure. Right. You, you have that first-time volunteer, wow, that was so great. Yeah. Uh, but if I come back to the same person again and I give the same thing to them again, I'm going to sense a, a deepening uh, aspect of purpose tied to that person's life. right? Mm. And then a third time, I'm going to become necessary. If I, if I give that a fourth time, I become even more essential to mm. that person's life. And a fifth time, paternal. And so those are just five mm. steps to paternalism. 
What, what happens there is that now we've got a person who's dependent and a person who's paternal, which is a strange codependency because the person who's dependent is in need of what the, the person who's in paternalism, they're in need of what they have. And the person who's paternal, if there's an aspect of power that's associated with that paternalism, then to retain the power, they're dependent on the person who's dependent to continue to need yeah. what they have. I don't know if all of that stays together in the minds of your listeners, but I mean, it is a strange codependency. It's, What's so sad about it is that nationally, what we've been doing and try to, trying to close the, the income gap, I think we're actually driving a deeper wedge relationally where mm. people who are in this strange dependency paternalism relation, it's not a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. It's transactional only, but it's an, it doesn't really involve true relationship, which is going to have healthy reciprocity and exchange and that type of thing, right. you know. Uh, so, but, and of course, all of this has to do with the fact that we're treating the symptoms of a problem yeah. rather than the source. Yeah, that, and that's, that is huge. And I think from kingdom, big kingdom-minded believers, you know, if you believe that there's a God who sent His Son Jesus to change the world, starting with us first, then I, I think the kingdom, and I, I shared this one day when I was involved with something uh, at a local level, kind of a leadership group, and I was able to be on a panel, and afterwards, you know, somebody came up and I said, you know, really what we're trying to do is say, you can be where I am. I mean, in the kingdom mindset, it's, hey, James, you're on the street corner, you can have a full-time job, you can work 40 hours a week, you can have purpose, you can have meaning, you can build and flourish a kingdom and a family and all these things. You can be where I am. In the mindset of the believer, if we really believe God has the power to transform lives, then James, you can be where Jason is. So let's go to work. How do we, how do, we do this? What's the first thing we can work on together? That's much different than, James, you can never be where I am. Right, and that's that's so true. That's I just I feel bad for you. Yes, I hear your story. I hear your trauma. I hear, and we don't neglect those things, but we need to say let's find out a way to deal with them in a healthy manner, and let's get you to be the best you through Jesus Christ. Right, yeah. and that oh, that's yeah. a diff, that's a whole different mindset. It, it, it is. Yeah. It's so vitally important for you know everybody listening to this podcast, people in our cities, to understand that if we have no if, if, we don't, if we don't believe that, yeah. if we don't believe that a person can, can uh, you know, elevate out of, out of uh, poverty, can live a flourishing life of productivity, then we'll have no expectation of that person. Yeah. If we don't believe that, we'll have no expectation. We should f look at the other side of that. That means that if we have no expectation of a person, then we don't believe that they can be any different. Ouch. <laughs> so we need to tie yeah. healthy expectation of people, whether they're in poverty or not, with a belief that God can do something mm -hmm. transformative in that life. But if we have expectation of people, then it means that we believe that they can actually do uh, you know, something more, something better, that they can grow, that they yeah. can develop. And we need to have that kind of belief and expectations that are coupled with it. Yeah, that's, that's really hard though, because this work that we're doing when we engage it is not easy, right? <laughs> oh. It is, you know, you, you, we just think like, I, I was sharing this with our staff team, you know, 
you watch a movie or read the book, same kind of different as me. You know, there's these, there's a great movie out there and it's got a fantastic story where, you know, the, the art dealer who's probably a millionaire, you know, meets a guy who has less than anything, you know, living at the local rescue mission down in Fort Worth, Texas. And, and their lives become intertwined because they really needed each other in a relational capacity. And uh, very different sides of the track, you know, everything was different about their world. And so we have this unrealistic expectation sometimes that we're going to engage in a relationship, somebody on the street, and everything's just going to be better. You know, and, and I'm, and again, I think sometimes that's unrealistic for me to walk up to that person and think, man, I, I get to be the person to help change that life. That in and of itself is wrong thinking. Would you agree with that? Oh, I do. I, okay. I agree with that. I think that uh, um, relationship <clears throat> is the key. It's very vital. Uh, but real relationship is difficult. It's messy. It requires vulnerability, mm. humility, to be a good listener, to uh, be a person who understands second and third chances, grace, but truth, tough love, all of that stuff, right? Wow. All that stuff is a part of real I'm getting overwhelmed. I can <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, I can you're sense like, that you know this. I mean, yeah. you know this. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes I think people might, might feel like there's a little bit of a, uh, just an unrealistic expectation of jumping in. I'm going mm-hmm. to buddy up with this guy and things are going to change. Well, it's more than that. Yeah. You know, I would applaud the buddy up. Yeah. I mean, hey, at least we're not, that's beyond what we would call charity with the tongs, which might be, hey, I'm willing to write a check, okay. but I'm not willing to get down to the mission to engage anybody. So getting down to the mission to engage somebody, thumbs up. That is yeah. so great. But let's, well, let's talk about what this is going to mean as you'd really develop a relationship with somebody and begin to walk with them over time, because that's what's necessary. Quite frankly, if we don't get to that, if your listeners and your supporters and partners to Victory Mission don't get the fact that they've, they're going to have to build real relationship mm-hmm. with an individual over a longer period of mm-hmm. time, then basically it is a community that abdicates its responsibility to some nonprofit champions down at Victory Mission to, to make the difference. And that's never going to work. Right. We'll never solve the problems within Springfield in the way of poverty and and homelessness, nor in my city or any others, if we just leave it up to the nonprofit sector sure. or to the mission mission minded folks to get it done. That's yep. not going to happen. It's going to require a community that understands I can actually stop the person that's holding a cardboard sign and go ahead and have a coffee with them over at the McDonald's. Mm get to understand their family, their background, what's going on, and say, could I meet you again next week? I want to have another coffee with you. Mm-hmm. And to do that week after week after week, that's where we begin to solve the problems that are plaguing America today in regard to chronic homelessness and poverty. Wow, that's um, very practical and also probably terrifying for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like to think, ah, how do I do that? I mean, and that's where I think you've seen this for 22 years, you guys have been down there, and, and what you probably have seen with all these volunteers is they start small. They come, they engage with maybe the, the food. You guys have a grocery store, a product choice. You know, the individuals go in and shop and do these things that, that's really an empowering model after they've served uh, alongside your team and others to sort of build credit 
uh, mm -hmm. to then go shop for the things they need. And then same with the clothing that they need. They, they sort of build credit, you know, sweat equity, and then they go do what they need to do. And so that would be a good place to start, I would say, is if, hey, I, I can't go grab a guy on the corner with a, with a cardboard sign or a woman with a cardboard sign. I'm not going to go drink coffee with them. Well, go engage with just volunteering with some local ministry wherever you can. Go there first and begin to understand mm -hmm. the complexities. Yeah, I right? think that's a great idea. You're right on it. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it's easy for maybe guys like us who've been in it for sure. a while to say, oh, yeah, just stop by and talk with the guy that got the cardboard yeah. sign because we do that stuff all the time. Yes. But you're right. For people who that's not their, their norm in their day, uh, I think we we really do offer a fantastic bridge piece. Absolutely, uh, missions yeah. and nonprofits like ours offer a great bridge piece for people to get their feet wet and start to get connected. And then the uh, the onus is on you and me and other mission leaders to then help guide and educate mm -hmm. those volunteers as they step into that space to make sure that. We're, we're not we're not going to be satisfied with just serving a meal. That's right. I mean, there's got to be more and see if we can really engage those good-hearted, compassionate Christians coming down to serve at the mission and see if we can really help them take that next step to build real relationships with people. I would like for you to talk about the, the story, and I've heard you tell this when you were engaging with a, a, church, a couple of church leaders in a much smaller community, I happened to be there. You were there. We were down in a community south of ours, kind of between us. And you, they were wanting to start a like a overnight emergency shelter. It was a group of churches. They were all kind of getting ready. They were trying to help people that wanted to work and wanted to do the right thing, but they also knew uh, there was a big manufacturing plant down there. And so there was all these kind of unique things. And you were able to share some things, but you told the story of the guy who had the uh, sort of the cardboard, and he could flip it three or four different ways. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and each one, and, and I think what you were sharing with that was like, we look at these people and we think, man, they don't understand anything. They understand a lot. They can read people. They probably are looking at the kind of cars. I think it'd be fascinating to go up to them and be like, hey, how's your market research? You know, which cars, you know, is it red cars, black cars, white cars that give you the most money? Is it, yeah. is it high-end cars? Yeah, that's is it right. Low right. You know, I'm sure they're aware of all of these things. Oh, don't you know? Weather yeah. patterns. Yes. I mean, tra yeah, tra traffic that's going particular directions. I mean, sure. Uh, it, they're very astute. Well, well certainly. I yeah. mean, and we're... We're, we're, we are economic creatures. I mean, we're always making decisions and, and uh, f for our best interest or you sure. know, for our advantage for the most part. And yeah, people who are standing on a street corner or people who look disheveled or under a bridge or, yeah, it's not, the, it's not the, they're, they're not brainless. I mean, exactly. So when we've got to respect that, we need mm -hmm. to understand that uh, God has created every single person in His image, and so there's gifting and capacity and ability. And uh, but yeah, the one the one fella had a cardboard sign, and I don't remember what the four messages were. But you're right on one 12 inch by 12 inch piece of cardboard. Yeah, he had created a way where he had he could fold it, and it would say one message. One of them was uh, uh, hungry, blessed are you, and one was 
sell food I'll sell food stamps half price. <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, sure. One was like cold, wet, and cast out, and the other was just needing an ID. I need, you know. So yeah. he had these four different messages that he could, depending on, and I'm sure he was kind of reading cars maybe, and he would use whatever message he thought was going to be the best. But again, the idea is that, hey, uh, we should not simply pity people. Exactly. We should also un understand, yeah, there are hurdles and struggles and bad backgrounds and a lot of neglect and abuse in the past and trauma, and, but also people are uh, in, incredible. I mean, yeah. we are magnificently made by God. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't, that's not something that's just for the affluent. We are all magnificently made. Exactly. And, and we have a responsibility as people who care about other people to find the magnificence to look for it, yeah. and we need to do that. That's very inspiring. I'm, a, I'm a sitting here, I'm like, man, this is, this, is good. <laughs> this is good for me. It's like a good reminder just to realize like, you know, we, we do have this capacity. And I, I know you and I both, you know, we're at a unique place within our organizations where we both get to share, um, you know, wh whatever your community is, there's, there's the north side or the south side, the east side or the west side, there's the downtown or, the urban core, whatever that looks like, you get to both be kind of the bridge between those of the, that may not have with those that have. And, and like the charity with Tongs, you mentioned, hey, we can get checks and I can try to inspire people to change uh, downtown versus, you know, suburbs. We can try to do all that, but really when we, in the kingdom, we've got to all bring all that together. And I think that's where as as local ministries even a church that has a local outreach ministry and different things we have to see it as as a everybody problem or or we'll never solve it and you've you've mentioned that before but yeah you know back to our kind of this thought of you know believing that people have the capacity to change and right, that bridge right. bridging the gap so yeah you know local ministries that are engaged are a great way to help you know, hey, I, I've got an hour a week, I've got an hour a month. What would that do for somebody? Like if somebody came and said, James, I got an hour a month, what should I do? I mean, what, what would you, what, where could you plug them in on something like that? Well, we always are thinking about relationship. I mean, it's the first thing for us. It's, it's one of our core values. And we think that, um, I mean, it is the way that people are going to, you know, move out of poverty is through building good, healthy, real relationships with people. And earlier, as you were just talking about the importance of community and the bridge piece that nonprofits can play in that, it was making me think about the importance of um, bridging social capital. And so I think this is coming from, you know, Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone and the, and the uh, you know, a book that is worthy of reading just talking about the, uh, the slow decay of civil society and um, where you're seeing a lot, a lot less civic groups, civic organizations that are flourishing, the whole idea of bowling alone, right? It used to be always bowling in leagues. And so he gets into this in his book, Bowling Alone, he gets into uh, the idea of social capital and he differentiates social capital from bonding social capital and bridging social mm. capital. Bonding social capital uh, would be, uh, well, like you, you and me. I mean, we have good bonding social capital. If I, if, I had a, if I had a struggle or a trouble or something, 
I wouldn't hesitate to call you. Yeah. Say, hey, I need some help, Jason, could you help me out? So we've developed a relationship over the years that would be that kind of bonding social capital. <clears throat> Close family and friends, you know, that circle, that network that is a, uh, really intended to be the first kind of safety net that you've got. I mean, so that's bonding social capital. But bridging social capital is really, really important. And this is the acquaintances that you and I make that are outside of our normal circle. And usually they inspire us to think beyond what we've been thinking. They can be a, a source of uh, advisement. Uh, it can, it can uh, breathe hope into life about, wow, I, I guess I could do that. Or I, I could uh, expand or grow in some way. I haven't really thought about because I've met this person Who's, who's now talking with me a little bit about what they do that's yeah. outside of the norm of my life. That's bridging social capital, really important for all of us, um, and especially for people who are in poverty because people who are really in poverty typically have bonds around them mm. that are not going to be the relationships that actually form a good safety net, and, the, and they're probably not going to actually help them out of the of the poverty that they're trapped in yeah but bridging social capital can can help inspire a person and provide opportunity that they did not have before this is where local business people church mm. leadership right come down to the mission and get involved in that relationship one hour a week if you can taking somebody out to lunch or coffee and be that source of inspiration and hope for the person Again, we call that bridging social capital, but it's incredibly important. I think that's really good. And I, I have not read that book, but I love that. You know, Bowling Alone, that's a fantastic, seems like a good, just a commentary on our social situations. And what, what we see even, and I've seen, is that the bonds that are negative. So if I'm in poverty, you'll shame people. And we see this all the time. I mean, like think about high school again. You know, uh, just watch any of the cliche high school movies and somebody gets shamed for trying to get out of a certain social circle. Man, you're not like them. Yeah. You're the jock, you're the geek, you're the nerd, you're the right. whatever. And we do, we shame each other and that's happening in the poverty culture. Boy, that's, that's right. Is that it? What he's talking point. about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know what the root of that is? It's envy. Oh. I mean, I haven't thought about that, but truth be told, if I don't want someone to you know, move out of the wow. circle of poverty and, and, and better their lives. It's because I want them to remain here where mm. I am, which is actually a form of envy. We call it the great leveler, right? Mm. Envy is an insidious sin that either wants to level up where someone else is, or they want to bring somebody down and level them down to where you are. That's the force of envy, but I've never thought about it. But what you're saying is so true. And people, I think it's envy that would drive somebody to say, I don't want you to go better your life. You need to stick here in this circle of poverty right. with me. Yeah. yeah. You need to stay right where you are because if you move up, then I should have. You know, it gets, right. all of a sudden now I'm, I'm more, I have more shame because you did it and I couldn't. And why did you do it? And, and what happened? And then all these, and I think we even see that with the different conversation. I was eating lunch with a, um, a guy that had come here to, you know, play football, and and he was sharing about people that from his neighborhood that didn't, you know, didn't make it out or didn't want to make it out. Or you see that with all these statistics of, you know, a brother and a sister. Why is one 
why is one destitute and, and hates their life and the other one's like the CEO of a company? You know, what, what happens in that? And there's all these studies on resiliency and grit and whatever the new buzzword is, but um, all those things are really about, I, I can do it, or somebody believed in me, or the power of that one voice to say, hey James, it, man, I thought you were gonna go get that job. I know you could do it. If you would just go, go do the interview, you could do it, you could get the job. And that's what you guys are seeing at your rescue mission is just that encouragement, the cheerleading almost of your staff and people that are saying, hey, go for it again, why not? Yeah, I mean, I think you and I understand the importance of inspiration. Yeah. It, I mean, we are called to be uh, inspirers and we, we really, we, we need to do that. We have to be very proactive in that regard because uh, it's in lack today. It I is. mean, real inspiration is in mm -hmm. lack, and, and we, need to, we need to be that for people, no doubt about it. And we need our community to, to do that as well. It's, it's a fight. This is a struggle. I mean, you and I are talking about things that are holding people back yeah. and other forces that are trying to draw them out and up. And so it's a, it's a real struggle. And so uh, to win, we have to be a people who really believe that God can transform lives. We have to be a people who are full of hope. Yeah. And, in, and, and ready to inspire people and to, to be the, the like ultra encouragers. And we just can't hold back on that. Uh, you, you know, so, and I think that there can be fear factors and other things that are causing people to not want to go there. But we've got to remember, regardless of how distant a person might seem or how foreign they might seem to you for whatever reason, they're a person. Yeah. They have hearts yeah. and minds that operate a whole heck of a lot like yours. And, and, and where you've been encouraged and inspired, they can be encouraged and inspired too. So let it go. Be an inspirer. Yeah, I like that. Be inspired, be a cheerleader, be an yeah. encourager, because the people around them that may have the closest ties to them speaking in their life, they're shaming them so that they all sort of stay broken together. Right, birds of a feather flock together, as they, as we say. Let's talk about real relationships. You said real relationships a few times. Let's like kind of define that for us, because in my head I'm thinking, well, aren't all my relationships real? And but we know, we kind of also know they're not. There's the superficial ones. There's that person you see at work. There's the you know you only talk about sports or the weather. So talk about what does a real relationship look like? You know, if you went to volunteer at a local ministry or or you just wanted to help at a, the food pantry at your church or something what would a real relationship look like yeah well one of the things that <clears throat> i challenge our volunteers uh, probably on an annual basis at a get all the volunteers together and i say listen your goal ought to be to get get into a relationship with an individual. I always make the joke, you, do you know anybody who's homeless and poor? And of course they all laugh, right? Because it's like, yeah, we're around people all the time at the mission who are struggling with homelessness and poverty. Yeah. Well, okay, so develop a real relationship and stick with it until you, uh, until they are, they have their own place to live and you have a meal over at their place. Wow. And so that's, that's like to me, I mean, and of course that's not the epitome of real relationship, but it's a nice objective. It's something very crystal clear for people. It's like, okay, I'm gonna stick with this person, I'm gonna help them until they have their own place to live, and then I'm gonna go over and I'm gonna have a meal at their mm. place. And the nice thing about that is, is then you're the guest, 
wow. at, their, at their place. They're actually going to prepare a meal for you, and you're going to come. What happens in between that? You've had them over to your place, and, and you've prepared a meal for them. But you want to move all the way through that to the point where they're, they're welcoming you into their home. It's, it's very, man, this is very, that's very powerful. Because I was just, I'm even thinking of different relationships. I'm like, have I even done that? You know, and I've had, you know, guys over and help in the long-term program. You get to know them different. You know, and each, each kind of ministry somebody may go to, there's probably a long-term program. There's probably intermediate case management or life together conversations. Then there's kind of these, you know, outreach. Hey, we might go downtown. We're... There's in everything in between. So wherever somebody feels comfortable, they could plug into these types of ministry outlets. And even as a church, you know, maybe you just go downtown to your local urban area, but you don't bring food. Or you don't, you know, you're just like, hey, I'm just out. You know, maybe here's a bottle of water. So you're just, you're trying to engage. Hey, I got a bottle of water. Hey, is there something I can pray for you about? That's as simple as what some of the things we are doing. But how do you just, you know, get to know somebody like that um, to be able to have that relationship? Yeah, well, it's different for different people because of personality types. But mm-hmm. we created a tool called Life Deck that That's right. is just, it's basically a simple tool that you can sit down and you can just go back and forth, different categories of life, a series of questions that aren't just asked one way. Like, so when I sit down and I go through life deck with a person, it's like a 40-week deal. And we meet every week and a person will ask me one question, I'll ask them one question. We just go back and dialogue. But it is exposure of life mm. with some vulnerability so that you're being very real with people. Sometimes I think that um, we want to keep up with the Joneses. And so that whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses often creates a facade of Christian perfection, which Mm. there is no such thing on earth. And so we don't want to be really vulnerable, but it's so important with people who are already viewing you potentially as the glowing saint with a halo. It's like, okay, so listen, let's be real. Let's be vulnerable. I'm struggling with things. You know, when a person says, "How how are you doing, you know? It's like, okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm feeling tired today, and it's just been a lot, I'm feeling some stress about some things. It's okay to be vulnerable as right. we build those relationships. And I think the more that we can help people understand, it's not an us and them. Mm. It's just us. Mm. And if we can help people understand that, then they feel more inspired, and they'll feel more like they belong. They're not an outcast. Uh, you don't have to be marginalized. You know, we're, you're welcomed in, and thank you for welcoming me into that's a relationship right. with yeah. you. And so I, to me, that's what it's really all about. If you're going to build a real relationship, you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be open and transparent. You also need to be reliable. You need to be a good friend uh, to somebody. I mean, Jesus was a friend to sinners. Mm-hmm. He didn't... He didn't show up late, and he was a person of his word. I mean, those, so those kinds of qualities are really important, too, as we build relationships. Be honest, be people of our word, uh, be reliable, be vulnerable, be consistent. Yeah. Those are important. Because you're trying to teach the same things that hopefully they will then 
learn or never have learned. You know, so how, how do you do it if you don't model that uh, to them? And yeah. so you show them, hey, I, I honor you by your time and I'm respectful to you. All those things that, that we sort of lost, right? Because we, we are, we're, bowl, we're bowling alone. We're <laughs> going to eat alone. We don't, you know, I can't engage with that. But that's, that's very scary. So somebody could be thinking, man, I'm, I'm not even real with anybody. And that, that can be true. And, that, you, know, th- you know, then you got to do some of your own work first. Because if you're going to get your needs met, back to that paternalism thing, if I just need to show up and, you know, get my needs met because I help somebody, then you're not there for the right. You need to be there for them and not for yourself. And that's, yeah. that's really hard. That's really hard. And I, I think we all at moments, sometimes we're great at that. And other times we're, man, I'm showing up. I hope they make it. I hope they stay. I hope, you know, I hope we can, you know, get that goal met and... You've yeah. got to detach yourself, similar to what you, you know, we both have kids and, uh, you know, you've got to do that with your own kids, mm-hmm. you know, and nobody would say, hey, yeah, having a 50-year-old, you know, living in their basement, that's a great idea. You know, we we do that, but we kind of do the opposite with those we share, you know, other relationships with. It's, it's so yeah. different how we, the circumstances get shifted. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the stuff we're talking about is important basically to build a trust relationship, trust. I mean, you know, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to be timely, to be reliable, to show that you care, to be a good listener, it all develops trust. And trust is incredibly important because a lot of folks who've been stuck in chronic homelessness, chronic Mm. poverty, have not been in relationships that are trustworthy. Absolutely. And so to build that trust is going to be incredibly important for them to feel like they can take a step up. Like they can, maybe maybe they've been trapped in poverty on government dependency for a long time. And here you are challenging them to think about a different way of living that, mm. you know, and it's like, I, I'm scared. But if they can trust a person, then that's gonna be huge to them to take start taking steps out of poverty. So uh, all of this good relationship stuff you and I are talking about really boils down to developing a good trust relationship with a person. Yeah, and if they don't trust you, they're never going to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Right? The old adage, I think I heard that recently. My daughter heard it for the first time, and she said, Oh, Dad, that's really good. You know, people don't care what you know till they know how much you care. And that's what you're saying. Yep. If they if they trust you, then maybe James knows what he's talking about. Maybe James actually, I can set a goal and meet a goal. I can set a goal to go, yes. just go to a job interview. That's like right. I. I might not get yeah. it. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Plan on not getting it. Just go. <laughs> right, right, you right. Know? No, no, that's so you know? true. Not only does it, I think, empower a person to try some things they haven't, but it also opens up very important dialogue between the, between the person who's uh, trying to help another individual in speaking into their lives about things that are difficult. Yeah. Some, and and this, is, this is, I mean, oh, if I could somehow take this this nugget and like convey it to every listener of this podcast mm-hmm. how important it is to not enter a relationship and think that you're never going to have to say something tough that's just not the case you, and so it's it's important not not off the front end but as you develop that trust relationship i always end up saying something like uh, hey is it okay if i like just talk to you about some things I notice from time to time. I mean, th- that may not even feel very good. Would you be okay with that? 
That's after I've met with an individual a little bit and they know that I really care about them. They say yes and then I start, I start not, not immediately, but I'll notice certain things that I, I know are gonna hurt them and their yeah. ability to connect and to work. To, to maintain good relationships on a job site. And it could be anything from, you know, bad manners to language or, you know, all sorts of things, right? I mean, how do we, how do we hold a door open for an individual that's right behind us? Little things like that are very important to help people learn that have never known them before. Yeah. You and I are not gonna have the ability to speak those important things into a person's life dealing with some of that stuff in uh, just uh, the, the general social rules, right? Unless we have a good trust relationship with them and they know that we really care. So I'll, I'll kind of hit this point. So I, I was sitting here thinking, I'm thinking, so, you know, somebody could be listening to this podcast. They could say, man, that, that sounds all, it's all pie in the sky. You know, you don't understand mental health. You don't understand systems, you know, it, you know, everybody's, you know, wired this way, the trauma. So what do you say to that? Because I think sometimes when you talk about real relationships, when we talk about, you know, not just enabling people to stay where they are and being okay with that, like trying to, you know, somebody could say, well, you don't understand the system that's out to get these, you know, this person and that person. You don't understand the trauma that they've experienced. How do you deal with that when when somebody says you don't James you're clueless you don't see the realities what what how do you answer questions like that well, <laughs> well I would I would say come on down I mean I see the realities and yeah so but but I I, I would say I understand that's my first thought on on that mm -hmm. it's like I get that I understand that what you and I are talking about people that I don't know might be coming into our long term program and you know that type of thing and there are people who have Everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Every per person's different. Their backgrounds are different. Their trauma's different. How they handle trauma, all of that's different. And so we've got to get to know individuals and what's really going on before we can say, yep, I'm going to be able to develop a long-term relationship here and speak into this person's life and they're going to rise out of poverty. Yeah, I understand some of this talk sounds pie in the sky. Yeah. And for some people, it's going to be a much longer haul. It's going to mm -hmm. be very difficult. And some people may not, we may not see it in our in our life or their life. And what I say to that is be with the person when you're with the person. Just be with them. And uh, because this is what Jesus modeled. And uh, sometimes, well, for example, I, I remember this uh, driving down the interstate. It's a winter's night, a lot of snow and ice. And there was a car overturned. I don't know if we were on the interstate or it was a highway, but there was a car overturned, no emergency personnel, and pulled over, and in the snow in the night, right, I'm running out to this car, and there's uh, an older couple in the car. It's upside down. They're kind of, you know, wedged in a way, they're, but they're able to talk with me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get them out. I. All I, all I could do was kind of get into the back of the car through one of the windows and just be there and mm. talk with them. And that's all I could do. That's all I knew to do until somebody arrived with equipment or whatever. Sometimes I think that's all we can do. Hmm. So, you know, people can be, their whole life is so upside down 
Things are so difficult. We may not see the pie in the sky. We may not see the route out. We not ha- may not have the strategic plan to help them out of poverty, but we can be with them. And that's always important to remember that that counts, to really care about an individual, to be with them, to listen to them, and to still encourage them. And so, uh, but everybody's different. And not yeah. everybody we're going to be able to see uh, get the job, get the apartment. You know, I, I understand that. I think I think you're right. If people say that, I would say I understand. Yeah, and and that's where you almost could say, well, I'm not going to do anything. But you're saying, well, when you just show up, yeah, and you're just available, you're there, and we hope, right? I think, that's man, true. I. I yeah. I, I hope I got it right. You know, Romans, Romans 15, right? You know, he, you know, Paul says, the God of all hope, right? The God of all hope. If that person, if God is in us, we truly believe, the gospel says that now we become the hands and feet of Jesus, we get to move out, then we bring that hope. And so they may not have capacity for that. In fact, they don't. If right. they're, you know, if they're not in the kingdom, they don't even see the way out. But you can mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm just going to hope for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, as we were sitting here thinking, I'm thinking, I've been thinking about this guy that, you know, was in our long-term program at one point, and he's been in and out. But literally, he is, uh, he's like two months younger than I am. And he's still flying a sign. I mean, I, I saw him last week. He's still out on the corner, and he'll wave at me when I see him. And I wave, And I think about that, that, you know, just waving at somebody... Like, hey, I, I, lo- I like you enough to know I wave for you. I, you know, if I see him, I pray for him. But, you know, I don't always get out of the car. Usually I have my own children. I got things to do. And that's, but like, does that, that matters, doesn't it? it? I mean, it, just to Well, no, no, you're exactly right. What you've said is so incredibly important. Real hope mm-hmm. will not allow you to ignore a person. Ooh. No matter how wrecked life may seem, it doesn't matter. Real hope, you know, that's, that's a divine hope, will not allow you to ignore a person right. because there's always some miraculous possibility. I mean, you think about <laughs> Jesus, Jesus pulling up to the shore uh, of the Gerasenes, and here's a man that the whole community knew, you know, naked and in chains and, in, you know, I mean, possessed. and I mean, all sorts of just hor- no hope, no hope. But Jesus, right? But Jesus looks at this man, and you know as well as I do that he saw someone who was dressed well mm. in his right mind. He saw that even as this person was approaching, you know, with busted chains that he'd broken through and mad in his eyes and his body. I mean, he, right. but Jesus saw something else. That's what, as people of hope, as Christians, we've got to see that on the other side. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got a lady right now who literally wanders the streets. And there's, I mean, every single day, it's, hey, Jennifer, how are you? You know, and you want to get in the car? We'll go to the, we can go to the clinic right now. Come on, we'll take you. And of course, there's all sorts of uh, schizophrenic type mm-hmm. language that doesn't make any sense, right? That's right. I mean, in, in soiled clothing. and I mean, just the worst situation, in the world, but every single time. We continue to pray, we continue to hope. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do, yeah. no matter the situation. You know, that's really interesting to think about because I think a lot of times we, 
we get we could get confrontational or we you know we hear all these random stories about you know people making 200 300 a day holding a sign up they're getting in mercedes bins you know what whatever you know i've i've heard all those and people you know i've always sit in places and they'll say oh yeah you you know i've heard that isn't that right and you know that's not the point right i mean like the reality is if they're making that much money and you're curious, then pull over and go ask them, you know, because the majority of people that I like to say is the person holding the sign is probably not the person who really needs your help because they're, they figured it out. Like you're like our friend that had the four different turns, you know, you know, he, he's, he is working. They're, they're working a system. They're working an angle. They've got a, They've got a corner on some market, literally, you know, they're working that corner. But like we can still engage in that and maybe they turn you down. Maybe they say, you know, I'm fine or or maybe, you know, well, if you were a Christian, you give me $20. Okay, well, maybe I just want to hope for you. Can I just pray that God would reveal himself in some way? You know, like right. no matter where it is, because there's people not on the corner who need you maybe more. And that's where you're going to have to build a deeper relationship to be invited to a camp or to be invited somewhere deeper. It's, that's what we're seeing too sometimes. So what would you say to all that? Like just, you know, there's all these crazy things we can say, but how, just hoping. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, want, we want people's employment yeah. to add value to society. That's good. So maybe handing cash out a window because somebody's work working, working a corner, right? may not really be adding value to community. So it would be good to be thinking, what's a better form of employment? We shouldn't be satisfied with that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we should recognize that there's capacity in the vi- individual to work because they are a, you know, expressing you know, intelligence and fortitude and endurance. I mean, there's a lot that goes on to just standing on a street corner on a hot day or in bad weather. And so uh, we need to think about that. But the, the, other, the other side of that is sometimes I think people might say, yeah, the guy's been standing there with a red gas can saying, I just mm. need gas money all day with the same sign. I mean, I've seen that, right? Oh. So I think you could have dri- drivers or passerbys, people who are even maybe listening to this podcast are like, yeah, people are scamming the system. They're mm-hmm. just... They're abusing the system. They're taking advantage of people, uh, trying to play on their sympathy. And I think what we've always got to remember is, you know what? Maybe the need that's being expressed on a cardboard sign or Mm. at the church door or at the mission office, maybe the need that's being expressed isn't the legitimate need, but there's a need. Mm. That's the thing. I think we've always got to remember there's a need. Even if a person's, you know, being uh, disgraceful in some way, or they're they're they they are taking advantage of a system in an unethical way, or something like that, there's still a need. And what we need to do is try to understand what it is and get to it. Yeah. To really address that. I like I like that, and that that takes time. It right? does. And so when somebody shows up at a church corner, and and we get pastors or ministry leaders at church people you know texting us from time to time hey we got to get this person in they just needed an id you know which is a, a really easy way to say i need 12 bucks yeah you know or, or whatever that right. going i think they went up uh but 
But all of those things are happening. And so you need to take time to be like, hey, you know, come in back to your coffee at McDonald's story. Hey, I can buy you. I'm happily to buy you a cup of coffee, but I need a conversation. Right. I, I, I'll, I'll treat you. I'd love to know more about who you are, what circumstances you're trying to overcome. And, and I don't know if have you ever had anybody turn you down for that when you've asked? Or, or turn me down for for what? the coffee and the conversation or oh, anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have sure, sure. absolutely. There have been people who, uh, like, if if I'm interested in just the cars coming by and handing me money out the window, I'm really not interested in taking time. Okay. To go and do that, and mm. uh, but but certainly there, I mean, I was just in I was just in D.C. Uh, a week ago, and I'm walking down the street. I'm actually trying to find a place to get some water. I'm just looking for a bottle of water. And uh, there's a guy and he's sitting, he's, you know, a middle-aged, middle-aged black man sitting on the, on the sidewalk. Uh, he got his back up against a brick building. He's got a cup in his hand mm. and he's just, you know, looking for change. <clears throat> and as I walk by, I was, it was interesting because I could feel a, a variety of different things. But one thing was, if I stop and talk, he's going to want something from me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that. And sometimes I think that can cause us to hesitate. But I sat down with him, just sat down on the sidewalk with him, back up against the wall, just talking with him, getting to know him, you know. And, and then eventually I said, hey, could you, could you help me get some, I'm looking for some water. Could you direct me? He's like, yeah, I know where some water is and uh, there's a store down here and I said, would you, would you mind walking with me and getting me to the store? Because I didn't know where I, how to get there, you know? And he said, yeah. And he said, I, I'm needing a pack of cigarettes. And I said, all right, I tell you what, <laughs> you help me get to a store for yeah. some water and I'll buy you a pack of cigarettes. But Ivan and I had a great conversation on the way down, yeah. talking about the Lord, talking about Scripture. And mm. there he was helping me. And uh, so we had this reciprocity or this exchange that was happening yeah. in that. And um, so I think, I think that's important. And there's value there, right? I, and I also will say this, and this reminded me, have you seen, I think the other thing is we think that these people don't know anything about God or they have no, right. no concept of spiritual things. Have you found that to be true? <laughs> man, in your Ivan, Ivan was quoting scripture. Yes. And I was just like, man, you know, yet his life, he's, he's struggling with alcoholism. His whole family's past other than his sister and their relationship mm. is doused. And I mean, it's just, it's rough, you know, and yet here he was starting to speak scripture as we're walking yeah. down the sidewalk and we're talking about the Lord. And I mean, it was good. Yeah, but you're right, uh, people, uh, a lot of people have some background and knowledge of the word, which is just another common ground right. for Christians to be able yeah. to, to talk connect. With yes. So these people can be down on their luck. And um, I've even, I use the Hosea 4 6, right? People uh, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that knowledge there can be experience, it can be actual knowledge, but it can be knowledge of the systems, the social systems, the culture in which we live. So all these things are have it's so much more complex, right? But but you've got to know God. Then you have to know kind of the social constraints. You've also got to have some knowledge about maybe some education or all of those things are happening. That's why, you know, we we kind of take the approach of a of a whole 
holistic mindset, holistic approach. You know, we've got to help people kind of in each of their, you know, like a car. You wouldn't say, hey, you've got one car on, one wheel on that car. You're great. You know, just head out. <laughs> you know, so you've got to put all four tires on. You've got to, you know, the, does the engine run? Does, you know, is the exhaust all function? Just like we do with vehicles, we understand that we've got to do the same thing with people. Yeah. You know, you kind of got to go in and, and be curious. Hey, we, I could get you a house, but if you're going to keep drinking, how are you going to pay for the house? Or how are you, you know, you've got to help think right. through all these different things for yeah. them. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it's going back to what you were saying with this idea of, uh, you know, a person person coming in the church that might say, I just need uh, yeah. some I, an I, 12 bucks for an ID. Mm-hmm. Well, they might be expressing a need, but is it the real need? And how do we f- figure that yeah. out? And, I mean, I even had a cup and said he's needing change, right? Well, I, it didn't take long for me to sit down and get to know him a little bit and understand there's a deeper, greater yeah. need here. So we've got to be investigative. We've got to slow things down a little bit. We've got to understand that simple, quick transactional charity is not going to yeah. be the solution. And in fact, will tend to cause more problems than it will to actually help a person out. So, yeah, I think discerning what is the real need, what's really going on here. And it takes time. Yeah, It does take time. So as we're kind of wrapping up all this, talk to us about, we've kind of hit about dependency and paternalism. When you lay out, and I know each of these probably has multiple because we did a workshop you know, for a whole day on, you know, true lasting charity and those things. What are just maybe two or three things that somebody could say, hey, I listen to this podcast. I understand, James, you have a lot of experience both uh, personally, but you've read a lot of books. You're trying to understand the complexities of these issues, but you're realizing, hey, the things Jesus is talking about, just being present, just hoping you know, those things are key and those are relational, but where would you start with, you know, just what does true charity look like? What does it look like to really understand all those things? Where do you start? What are like top three things that somebody could do? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think realizing that uh, we're, we're not going to solve the source of problems through a superficial approach okay. is incredibly important. Uh it needs to stem from real compassion. I don't believe that legislated redistribution of wealth to address issues of poverty will ever work. I don't think will, it will ever work because it short circuits the compassion of one individual uh, for another individual. Hmm. And so you, we, need to, we need to see that. So, I mean, be supportive of that. Be supportive of uh, those local, compassionate, driven sources of help you know the missions in your community the churches that are doing good work I mean it's that kind of thing that we need to embrace and uh, big bureaucratic poverty-fighting programs are not going to solve the problems mm-hmm. and so I think that's certainly uh, that's certainly one aspect of what we call true charity right okay. it stems from compassion We're, we always talk about local approaches what can we do in our community the smallest First, is the best yeah the right. neighborhood association right the neighbor across the street that helps just maintain the job right, yeah. all of those things yeah. are smaller local yeah well, so the, the the mantra we talk about is smaller closer okay the, you know so we don't want big bureaucratic distant sources of help we want smaller closer 
sources of help. Because you can have those real relationships. Real right? relationships yeah. and what you and I just talked about, real discernment. Yeah. If you're really going to understand what's going on, you're going to have to be close to an individual. So mm -hmm. that's certainly uh, an important point. I think the other thing is we do need to have uh, just, especially within the, 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 the organizational structure of nonprofits, we've got to measure outcomes. You know, I, th I think that's just really important. We've got to think about what are we hoping for in the long run for people? And actually as individuals, I mean, you may not even be, you may be a volunteer, but as you're individually getting involved with another person, you're dreaming, you're hoping for that individual, and, and you're coupling those dreams and hopes with that person, casting vision, you're seeing a future. What does that look like? And then can we really get there? You know, okay, so starting to set goals that are measurable and objective and, and, and then helping a person get to a vision for the future, that's what we need to do in our charity work. And the vision for the future isn't just another meal. Yeah. That's not the vision for the future. It's going to deal with things like independent housing, self-insured, full-time employment, strong social capital network, right. uh, you know, being plugged back into church life on a regular basis. These are outcomes that we need to, as individuals and as organizational leaders, we need to embrace. And that's certainly a part of, of what true charity is all about as well. So yeah. measuring those things so that you're if what you measure happens. Right, so if I know I'm looking for independent housing, then I'm always focused on that. Like, how do we get them there? How do we, and, and we're problem solving with the individual. You know, we, we like to throw out those prepositional phrases, right? We don't do stuff to people, and we don't do stuff for people. We want to do stuff with people. Like, we come alongside and say, hey, are you going this way? Because, you know, and they may say, I'm just going down the street, but you could say, hey, Let's go to the end of the block. You can make it. You know, it's it's the the yeah. marathon ideas, all all these things. And and I think about that even, you know, in Paul's letter to Timothy, right? He uses the athlete, the farmer, and the soldier about preparing and having the right skills and tools and things. And and there's a waiting there. You know, I I don't just go out to battle. Mm -hmm. I gotta you know train for it. I don't just run a marathon. I need to train for it. I don't just you know, reap the harvest, I've got to sow the seed. Like all of those analogies we see in our world, but for some reason we don't take that approach in charity. It seems like a lot of times. Right, yeah, yeah, but we need to. And you're right, yeah. being with a person is uh, the, the only way to really do that. And so, uh, and that's really what true charity is all about, right? Charity is a beautiful word and we need to not uh, uh, denigrate it or, you know, sometimes it's contrasted with justice, like oh, we're we're for we're for social justice, but not charity or something. But or we're for you know biblical justice, but not charity. But tr truly, charity is a beautiful word. Mm -hmm. It's it's love in action. But true charity stems from compassion, and it is going to help uh, see people move from their position to something that is closer to what ought to be, which is you know very quick and simple definition of justice. What ought to be for life, mm -hmm. right? God has a picture of what ought to be for you and me and for every person in the world. And what we want to do is couple with that individual, be with that person, mm -hmm. and understand more about what God is hoping for that person and walk with them in a way that actually helps us get there. Wow. 
That is really powerful. It's inspiring what you do. I really appreciate you coming here. I like just having this conversation. It's like there's things I I'm thinking, man, we need to we need to do this and that, but we can only do, you know, we need to measure those outcomes. We need to be putting that, and that that's what our team has to develop. Same way any church should. Hey, how are you moving people up yeah. a ladder? How in and what are the steps that you can kind of realize? Hey. This seems to be a regular occurrence. If we do this and that and the other and help encourage them to do that, but it all starts with relationships. It does. It's, yeah, again, don't be satisfied with feeling good. Mm. Be satisfied with doing good. It's important. Yeah. Any yeah. last thoughts for us or for the people listening in? <laughs> uh, no, I think we've covered a lot of great stuff and uh, really appreciate you, Jason, and your ministry. Yeah. And just it's been great over the last uh, handful of years to get close to you. So uh, thanks for having me up. Enjoyed the time, yeah. the talk, and let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be great. Well, yeah, you have a wealth of wisdom, and I'm glad to know it. <laughs> <laughs> glad to share whatever I can. That's but, great. Uh, yeah, back at you. Well, thanks, have brother. a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to Brighter Stories Podcast. Did you enjoy the episode? Did you learn something new? Leave us a review and let us know what you think. We put out a new episode every first and third Friday of the month. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Victory Mission. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Henson. Thanks for being here.